This is HPR episode 2706 entitled, Why I Love the IBM Slash 400 Computer Systems. It is hosted by Arun Patton and is about 29 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, a short talk about how I came to love the IBM Slash 400 systems and why. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello folks, Kay Wisher here to remind you that it's that time of year again. Time for the Hacker Public Radio New Year's Eve show. For those who don't know, on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2018, at 10 a.m. UTC, that is 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will have a recording going on the HPR Mumble server for anyone to come on and say Happy New Year and talk about whatever they want. We will leave the recording going until January 1st, 2019, 12 a.m. UTC, that will be 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, or until the conversation stops. Please visit hackerpublicradio.org to find all the details and links about how to set up the PC Mumble client your favorite mobile app, the mobile server connection details, our Etherpad show notes, and the live audio stream if you only prefer to listen in on the lively banter. So please stop in and say hi, and maybe join in the conversation with other HPR listeners and contributors. It's always a good time. Welcome at um, another ep- uh, another episode or another podcast by me, um, your humble servant, of course. Um, well, my name is. Uh, uh, let's start with the intro, and then I'll tell you this is going all wrong. But I, it's it's spontaneous, but it's prepared at the same time. But you know, put me before a microphone, and um, I start rambling. But um, well, I, I'm trying so. Bear with me. Um, this is a talk about the AS400 system, the IBM AS400 system, um, or systems, or family of systems, or whatever you like. Um, so that's the main topic for this talk. But um, let me give you a small introduction about myself. My name is, uh, well, I'm Dutch, so my name pronounced in Dutch would be Jeroen Baten. Uh, and I know that sounds awful if you're not Dutch. Uh, so, Jerome Batten was just as well. Anyway, um, I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. I'm 55 by the time that you hear this. I'm self-employed. I'm into Linux. I'm into Python programming language. I'm into programming in general. 
Uh, I've been a sysadmin for years. I like geek stuff. I like um, mainframes, emulated or not. But if they're not emulated, it's the real deal. And there's a reason why they call, they call them big iron. So it's a hefty challenge. And then there's the AS400s, of course. So first, what is an AS400? Well, the AS400 is the family of systems uh, from IBM that they call mid-range. And mid-range means, of course, in the middle of some range. And uh, I think the best way to explain this is at the low end of the computing range is what we call a PC, you know, personal computer. Even if they are uh, the top of the line uh, with multiprocessors, uh, a gazillion RAM, etc., in 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 terms of of range, computing range, it's still at the the the, the low end. Then you get the middle range, which is uh, in IBM uh, parlance at least, the AS400. And then there's the high end. And the high end is what we would call a mainframe. So a mainframe is a lot of computing power, mainly focused on bringing you the highest throughput for your data. So throughput means getting as much data from A to Z in as little time as possible. So that's high end so AS400 would then be mid-range. And between a mainframe and a high-end PC, there's still an awful lot of space in between. And that's filled with, well, the AS400. But it's not, well, the AS400 is a family of systems. So even within the AS400, you have the low-end uh, systems, which are comparable to a PC, I guess, and then there's the high end, and the high end is a big boxes with lots of memory, lots of processing power, lots of throughput, and it's still not a mainframe yet, but it's getting close. Um, at least at the time they were uh, popular. So um, it's it's a range of systems, and it's a family of systems, and you have them from very small up to very big. I met the AS400 while I was working at a large chemical plant in the south of the Netherlands. If you're Dutch or near the, the Dutch border or you know a little bit about our country, you know what I'm talking about and, and the organization I'm talking about. But let's leave it at that. Anyway, they had an uh, AS400 model E45 and I knew nothing about it. I was uh, much younger, of course, because this was... Um, back in 1993 or about so i'm now 55 so you do the math i was i was a lot a lot younger at least and i i knew a few operating systems if you could call them that <laughs> i knew about ms dos i knew about atari uh or atari i knew about um, uh, simple basic uh, uh, PCs. I knew about, uh, well, I even knew a little bit about Novell Netware uh, for s the server operating system for, for PC networks. Um, I knew Windows, Windows for Workgroups. Um, and um, and then I met this, this, this huge system, which was a AS400 Model E45. Uh, today, it, its specs would 
be very unimpressive but at that time it was a big system and a lot of people were working on it so they did their enterprise resource planning on that system and they bought some software package and um uh and even had people working full-time building customizations um and and it seemed everybody was happy but it was completely different from what I've seen before. I mean, there was a menu system once you got logged in. There was a command line, so you could enter commands. There was no mouse, and everything was different. But although it was different, it was nice at the same time. So nice that I recently started an AS400 museum. But more on that subject later in this talk. Um, the AS400 was... Um, uh, the code well when it was developed the code name of that project was Silver Lake it was named for the lake in downtown Rochester Minnesota where development of the system took place and the AS400 as such as a real product saw the light of day in 1988 i even have a nice t-shirt with the text uh, AS400 running the matrix since 1988 because of all those nice phosphor green uh, letters that you see popping up on your screen. Anyway, um, the AS400 itself was the successor to the System 38 that started 10 years earlier in 1978. That system at that time was a little revolutionary and it had three major concepts. Even today, strange, there are some strange concepts in there. So, for instance, it used single-level storage so to the user, there's no difference between what's in memory and what's on disk. It, it just works. You enter a command, it just works. Um, of course, everything is stored on disk. But to the user, the disk is, is, is far and away. You don't, you don't touch a disk. You, don't do, you can change into a library, but you don't change into a directory as such. It's just, well, there's a library on the system that you go into, and it's somewhere on the storage. It had an integrated operating system. It had security built in, but it also had a relational database set in. So there were software development tools. You could very easily make a database, query the database, uh, design screen forms to enter data or display data from your database, whatever you like. It had, it had communication tools, etc., etc. And the other thing, it was built with a hardware-independent machine interface. It was using a hardware abstraction layer, the HAL, H-A-L. And everywhere in the IBM documentation about AS300, you read about the, the HAL, the, the hardware abstraction layer. And what it does is, there is, so there's sort of, the operating system is divided into two layers. So the first layer is, the, is, is a hardware-specific layer. So that's, of course, hardware-dependent. And that's the HAL itself, because at the, um, that at the other side of the hell, it would uh, present an abstracted system image to the operating system on top of that. So all the operating system tools, menus, whatever, are written and compiled to some form of abstract uh, uh, pseudocode that would be um, then executed by the hardware abstraction layer. It's, so it's similar to Java, yeah, you know, you you have this 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 you program a language. It's compiled into Java bytecode, and there is actually not really a system that can run Java bytecode. So you need a virtual machine. But 
Java appeared in 1993, so that's about five, six years after uh, the AS400 and even uh, 26 years after the System 38, which already had a hardware abstraction layer. So clearly they were earlier with that kind of thinking. Well, because of the complexity of the System 38 that appeared in 1978, there appeared a simpler version, System 34, and a version with a nice menu system called System 36. Now, clearly the successor to System 36 and System 38 could be System 40, but no, they had to do something else, so they called it AS400 for Advanced System 400 instead of System 40. So it was uh, the direct successor to the System 36. So single-level storage, integrated database, a security model, and a menu system, and the OS on top of the hell. Now, at first, the hardware was 48 bits, based with a CISC processor. So that's Complex Instruction Set Computing, CISC. Uh, changed, but it changed, IBM changed the hardware in the 90s to 64 bits RISC based systems and risk sets for reduced instruction set computing and because of the hell application migration to the new hardware was for all the users very simple because IBM itself converted the hell layer from CISC to RISC but everything above that level all the operating system tools all the applications everything just kept on working it, it so the it, migration was was a breeze um, in uh, somewhere in 2000, in the year 2000, IBM changed uh, the OS 400 name to E-Server I-Series. I know I can't even pronounce it, but I'm not native English, but I think that even English people have trouble saying this. Um, what they did, they made all everything was an enterprise server, so that would be E-Server, and then you had the I-Series for integrated, and you had the X-Series for X64, 68 bits, and you had, well, uh, the, the P for performance, uh, the P-Series. But anyway, so the AS400 changed to the E-Server I-Series as part of IBM's systems branding initiative. And in 2006, that was again renamed to System I. Now, I know you're probably a little dazzled by all these different names, so let's call it what it is. It's still, to my, in my heart, it's still an AS400 system, no matter what any marketing drone or no matter what any company representative will tell me. In April 2008... IBM announced, and this was nice, its integration with the System P platform. So you had System I, which was the successor to the eServer I series, which was the successor to the AS400. Only a name, you know, the hardware was separate, of course, also uh, new, but anyway. Um, and the System P would be the, the AIX platform, so the, the, the IBM Unix uh, uh, operating system. And in April 2008, they announced that they would integrate both hardware families into one platform. And the unified product line is called IBM Power Systems and features support for the IBM I and IBM I. <laughs> this is the kicker. IBM I was previously known as i5 slash OS or OS 400. So it's... They, they, they've been changing the name and it, maybe it's hip or whatever or, or some marketing uh, floozy head to 
come up with a new abbreviation. I don't know. Um, anyway, so um, the the uh, IBM Power Systems featured support for the IBM i, also for AIX and the GNU Linux operating systems. And this is all very nice and dandy, of course. The operating system itself is object-based. So everything in there is an object. And like I said, the features include an RDBMS, eh, a Relational Database Management System. And that one is called DB2-400. So it's a, it's a sort of a slimmed-down version of DB2. Um, maybe it's not sl- slimmed-down. I have no clue because I'm not a DBA. Uh, I just know that it's an integrated database. And if you need a database or you need to create a table, it's just there in a menu system. It's so easy. Anyway, there's a menu-driven interface. There's support for multiple users. It's got block-oriented terminal support. And that's the IBM 5250 proto- terminal protocol. And you can, of course, print stuff to printers. Um, recent Operating system versions can also run web-based applications, yay, which can be executed inside the optional IBM WebSphere application server. For people who are still using that and haven't migration migrated to JBoss yet, or you can even do PHP slash MySQL applications inside a native port of the Apache web server. So, well, they're they're pretty much up to date, which is. It's cool. There's a lot of software there, and uh, you and a lot, lot of fun stuff to use. So unlike the, the everything is a file uh, um, uh, sort of uh, um, a mantra of Unix and its derivatives on IBM I, everything is just an object with built-in persistence and garbage collection. And it offers Unix-like file directories if you really need them using the integrated file system. It's got Java compatibility uh, implemented through a native port of the Java virtual machine. It, I mean, it's all there. The, the, everything, the PHP is, the, is there, ported, of course. Uh, MySQL is there, ported. Uh, Ruby is there today. There's a lot. Well, and um, like IBM uh, mainframe operating system, IBM I uses AppDIC as the inherent encoding. So it's not ASCII or UTF-8, it's uh, the EBCDIC, EPTIC, uh, character encoding. That's, that's That has a long history and, and comes from uh, IBM mainframe systems. With the introduction of OS 400 release 4, IBM introduced what's called LPARS, logical partitions. And logical partitions, usually we think of partition as being uh, a, a segment on a hard disk, but in this case, it allows just multiple systems to run on a single piece of uh, of, uh, of of hardware. So um, the system is just div- you can divide the system using using software and say, okay, I want on my physical system, I want two or three uh, completely separated. Uh, 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 computer systems, so so many, much memory and so much processing power and so much so much hard disk to the one system, and the, the, so much memory and processing power and hard disk to the other system. So logical partitions, and you can even use uh, run different operating systems within those partitions. Um, well, how does an AS400 work? Well, let's start at the very beginning, and um, Starting an AS400 takes a while. 
it it has to read the file system it has to construct construct some system tables in memory and this takes some time during IPL and that stands for initial program load you see a lot of status codes appear on uh, one after the other on the front panel of the system all in all about some I've I've counted them on the table uh, 94 different codes So let's give some example. If it would say C600-4006, it would mean IPL all the system buses. If it would mean C600-4007, it would say start the SLID. Uh, It it could mean uh, initialize context management, initialize uh, initialize, uh, components of the syslog, initialize the MISR, uh, but even as something as trivial as set time of day. Um, in the end, you will see a logon screen appear on the terminal. Now, all communication is screen-oriented and not character-oriented. Like I said before, it uses the 5250 protocol and not the 3270 protocol for IBM mainframes. Having said that, it's still screen-oriented. It's just another type of terminal. And no doubt there was a huge potential for a new type of terminal in in the market at that time. I don't know. Um, The administrator account, which on Windows would be administrator and on a Unix system would be root. On an AS400 system, it's called the QSEC offer. In other words, it it starts with a Q, S-E-C, O-F-R, or uh, for some reason, everything on an AS400 starts with a Q. I don't know why. But... um, uh, the SEC offer stands for security officers. That's mu- that much is clear. And uh, default, that profile can do everything, unless, of course, you limit its credentials. But in, in, in normally, default, uh, the, the QSEC offer user can do everything on the system. Uh, if you've been successful in logging on, there is a menu where you can choose options like... Uh, option one for user tasks, uh, option two for office tasks, etc., etc., and even option 90 to log off. And if you choose uh, option one, you get a submenu with uh, new options. If you uh, would se- select two for office tasks, you would get an office task menu presented. So you can walk around the system if you're not familiar with it. At the bottom of the screen is a list of function keys you can use. Eh? Things like F3. And it's the same as in the mainframe. So F3 is to exit your menu or go back to the one before. F4 would be for the command prompt. F9 to retrieve last command, etc., etc. Well, besides using the menu, you can jump around in the system using commands. And this is where it also is very nice because these commands are abbreviated strings. For instance, to display a user profile, the command would be display user profile. Duh, that's very simple. But you would abbreviate it as short as possible. And then it becomes DSP for display, USR for user, and PRF for profile. Now, that's to display a user profile. If you want to work with a user profile, it would be work user profile. And then the uh, the what I just was a DSP for display would become WRK for work. And then, of course, after the WRK, the USR and the PRF. Um, if you want to display the system status, it's, of course, well, what do you think? Yeah, you're right. It's DSP, SYS, STS. And you would get a, a screen presented 
that would show you the system status. Now, now on to the operation of the system itself, because the operation of the system is not like what you may be uh, familiar with. It's job-oriented. So when you when you start a, a program, you in a way, in a, you effectively you submit a job to the system. And that means that the job enters into a job queue, and then the job queue feeds into a subsystem. There can be multiple subsystems with different processor priorities as well as memory limitations. And there, that means that there is an awful amount of tuning options available so the system can be very complex in its workings. And, well, you should know what you do as a sysadmin, but... You know, default out of the box, it just runs nicely. So, but there's you you can uh, add subsystems, you can um, add job queues, and and you can uh, tweak uh, tuning parameters uh, to your heart's content. Um, the AS400 is renowned for its stability. There are many urban legends of uh, legends of an AS400 simply. Uh, put behind a brick wall in error, you know, there's just somebody comes in and says, oh, I need to put a wall here. Yeah, you just put a wall there. And people completely forgot that there was a computer behind that wall. But no matter what, it just kept on running for years. So at some point, they had to relocate uh, the office. And it's like, okay, why is the network network not down? Well, there's still a server running somewhere in this, this building. And they, they find it somewhere uh, cemented in behind a, a brick wall. Um, so it's very stable. It's it's got gazillion of 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 of, uh, uh, of possibilities what you can do with it. But at the same time, it's also a very hacker unfriendly platform. So for instance, yes, it uses SCSI disks, but. If the disk identification string does not contain the word AS400, the system will not accept it, which, of course, lets, lets to ridiculous pricing. Um, hence uh, me saying that it's a hacker-unfriendly uh, platform. At this time, and this is a personal note, at this time I consider this to be a dying breed of computers. It's, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, that's just the way I think it is. There are many happy users and organizations, and it, it did have a great time, but and it had a great performance system, but at a steep price. So maybe you can replace one big AS400 system with 30 or 40 uh, uh, run-of-the-mill Intel servers to get the same throughput. But hardware, repair, sysadmin, and development knowledge can be found anywhere. In, and that's not the, quite the same with an AS400 system. So I think it's... It's 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 dying. It will take a few more years, you know. It's it's sort of the a dying slope that will take years and years. But then I guess the last use will stop using the last user will someday stop using it. Uh, well, because of my admiration for this hardware and software family, I started a museum called www.as400museum.org. That's www.as400museum.org. Um, so sorry for the small uh, commercial there. It's just well, you know, uh, it's an initiative, and I hope people like it. There's no, I'm not into it for the profit. I, I mean, I just called it a dying uh, platform. So who am I kidding? And the the thing is, at first I had, 
I had acquired two old AS400 systems. But then a friend of mine who, who has been working AS400 since it appeared on the market in 1988, he donated a huge pile of stuff to me. Currently, I have not two, but I have four, be it relatively small, but still, I have found the systems. But I also now have hundreds of CD-ROMs with OS software and a pile of original drives to play around with tapes. I even have computer tapes with the actual original AS400 release 1.0. Yeah, talking about museum uh, stuff, right? Um, I have several 5250 uh, twin X terminals for demonstration purposes. It's not a lot, and they will die in the end. So if you have some lay- laying around, I'd be more than happy to take them off your hands. And of course, that goes for all the Airs for hundred stuff that uh, that you uh, you have in your vicinity. In October of 2018, I was one of the exhibitors at the Berlin Vintage Computer Festival, the VCFB.de. And in April 2019, I will also make an appearance at the Vintage Computer Festival in Munich, the vcfe.org. So, there's a, a kick in, there's a, there's a, so it's not in Berlin, it's the vcfb.de, watch the top-level domain name. And in Munich, it is the vcfe.org for uh, the E for European and Org, of course, well, organization. Um and well, maybe I see you there. I mean, I, there was I. I see. The, I, I think that vintage computer festivals will um, increase in size and frequency simply because there is at this time. Um, um, uh, how shall I put this? Um, it's it's like at some a few years ago it was history in the making, making, but now it's history. So there's something to show. And and there are people interested in historical stuff and in old computer systems and what how did p- things work at that time? For instance, how did a crazy supercomputer be? Um, how was it that it was so damn quick at that time? It's so much quicker than everything else. I know by now, beca- but because somebody explained it to me, I didn't know before. But it's there's so much to learn and and to be amazed um, uh, about. So, um, no doubt there will be more Vintage Computer Festivals in the near future. And luckily, if if I'm lucky, I'll try to attend them and show people what an AS400 system is. Because it's, it's, I was there with one system and two terminals. And people, you see people walking up to you and you're thinking, oh, that's a box and it's black. It's probably a PC. But why are there two screens and there's no mouse? So you have to explain that it's a server system and uh, you can have two terminals or you can have 500 and it still would run. Um, well, all my bucks, probably 500 would be a little overkill, but, uh, well, you get the point. Um, when I announced this recent initiative, you know, the www.as400museum.org, on Twitter I got a nice response from Henry Sprock. Thank you, Henry. And uh, don't worry, I know it's an alias. But anyway, he was asking if I was going to be, uh, if this was going to be my next talk at Ochkamp in Sheffield, UK. Well, all I can say is, who knows? Um, maybe it's it's uh, they got me making to to making podcasts, so I might just as well return the favor and show up just one more time and enjoy some English beers and uh, and some really nice talk with friendly people. So I don't know. Well, that's just. Just just that tiny thing called Brexit, but we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, so 
All I can say, who knows? Anyway, I invite you all to read more about this adventure at www.oas400museum.org. And uh, with that, I would like to sign off and say till we meet again. Uh, it was nice talking to you. I hope you like this. And um, I'm going to sign off and start thinking about what my net next top podcast should be about. So if you have comments, ideas, things you would like me to talk about, just uh, mention them in the comments uh, below this uh, this podcast. And, um, well, who knows? Maybe uh, your idea is a winner. Um, sorry, no pricing or prices involved. Just um, the, the honor of being the one presented uh, with the idea. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.